you have your Bible, want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. If you'll stand, I'm going to read one verse of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 11 and reading from verse 7. If you haven't, would you say amen? amen? The Scripture says, By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an art to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. There's a whole lot there. We're going to talk about uh, the faith of Noah. We So far we've seen that these, the Hebrew writer, he takes these stories out of the Old Testament and he, he condenses them to a single verse. And up until now that's been... That's been pretty easy to handle because the stories in the Old Testament have been short too. But here you got chapters, I think it's 6, 7, 8, and 9 of Genesis. Not four chapters out of the book of Genesis all condensed into one single verse. And now you can go ahead and, and, and rest assured I'm not going to try to cover all four chapters out of the book of Genesis. Uh, we'd probably be here all month if I did. But I am going to try to touch on the whole story of Noah. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? We love you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. And Lord, we ask that as we open the word of God, you'd let us speak into our hearts and into our minds and let it touch us and let it change us, Lord, in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. So this morning we're going to continue our journey through Hebrews chapter 11, and we come to Noah. Now, Noah was a righteous man like Abel was. And Noah walked with God like Enoch did. But here, what is emphasized is that God gave Noah a warning that was, to be quite honest with you, a very difficult warning to believe. And Noah took God at his word and obeyed God despite a total lack of evidence that the warning was true. His faith was an obedient faith. Regardless of what his eyes could see, regardless of what his mind told him, regardless of what the culture of the day said, his faith was not subject to his senses or his emotions. His faith was subject to the Word of God. No matter how much sense it made or didn't make, Noah said, if God said it, I believe it. Amen? James chapter 2 and verse 20 gives us this principle. It says, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Genuine faith always produces some kind of obedience. It always produces some kind of works. If you really believe God, there will be some kind of evidence of it in the way you live, in the things you say, in the things you do, every man comes to God by faith. Amen? But the genuineness of that faith is demonstrated for all the world to see in the life that they live. The way you live validates your faith. Amen. You heard it. You know, one person said, hey, did you hear about jo Joey? You know, Joe went to church and, and the Lord touched his life. Uh, and and he, he, he's, he gave his life to Jesus. And the other says back, no, I, I hadn't heard that yet. But man, what a change in his life. Uh, he's not the same man that he used to be. The testimony of the faith uh, is in the life that is lived. Faith always produces works. 
Amen. Amen. Now don't be confused. No man is saved by works, but all men who truly surrender to God will give evidence of the faith that they have by the things that they do. Paul put it simply this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. A change takes place when God fills you with a spirit. Amen. Your faith in God becomes evidential in your life. It shows up. Uh, he produces a life that reflects the fact uh, that God has filled you with a spirit. Amen. It shows up in the way you walk. Uh, it shows up in the places you go. It shows up in the things you do. It shows up in the words that come out of your mouth. Uh, amen. Your life gives the evidence that you've been filled with the Spirit. So our lesson, one of the lessons that we've learned in Hebrews chapter 11 is that genuine faith is always demonstrated in action. Abel's faith is demonstrated by the fact that he offered a better sacrifice. Enoch's faith is demonstrated by the fact that he walked with God. And Noah's faith is demonstrated by the fact that he built an ark. Listen, if you don't get anything else I'm going to say, get this. Anyone can say they believe. But faith's evidence is always produced by obedience. Faith's evidence is always produced by obedience. It's not enough just to say I believe. Because if I believe, I will obey the Lord. Amen. So when the writer of Hebrews begins to tell the stories of the faithful, he identifies them not just by their statement of faith, but by what they did. It's the obedience of their faith that produces the evidence that validates their faith. Faith without works is dead. But the premise of Hebrews chapter 11 is that the just shall live by faith. And when the author gets to Noah, he provides us with a demonstration of the obedience of faith. Noah shows us what it really means to take God at his word and to, and to live that out. Noah's faith says, I believe in that which seems impossible, and I'll act on that faith. And Noah's faith produced an ark. Amen? The record of Abel shows us the worship of God. The record of Enoch shows us the worship and the walk with God. But it's in Noah that we see one who worshiped God, one who walked with God, and then the next step, one who worked for God. Amen. Everyone shows us a progressive step in the relationship of faith, and that's why we're studying this chapter. That's why we're in Hebrews chapter 11 at the outset of this year. Our theme this year is step by step, and here in Hebrews chapter 11, we see the steps of faith that the patriarchs walked in, and, and we're seeing week after week how to progressively get closer to God through our faith. Now, there's an interesting sequence here. You've got to have worship before you can have a walk with God. Amen. First, you got to recognize there is a God and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You've got to worship him. That precedes everything else. You can't wor walk with a God that you don't worship. Amen. You can't walk with a God that you don't worship. 
And if you've got to have a walk with God, then then you've got to have you've got to have worship so you can have that walk with God because it's that walk with God that produces the ability to do work for God. Amen. You've got to have a walk with Him before you can do anything productive for Him. Working for God grows out of walking with God. Amen. Some folks want to jump right to the end and. And they, they want to say they're working for God when they don't really worship Him. Or they're working for God when they don't really walk with Him. My friend, that's not the way it works. You may be doing some good deeds. You may be doing some good things. But you aren't, if you aren't walking with God, you're not working for God. Can I say that again? If you're not walking with God, you're not working for God. Amen? It's tight, but it's right. It's the truth of the Word of God. Noah was righteous like Abel. Noah walked with God like Enoch. And he worked for God. His faith was obedient to God against all odds. That's the obedience of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. I'm going to read the first half of our text. It says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark. We said something similar about Enoch last week. We said last week about Enoch that somewhere along the way, God gave him some kind of divine revelation that the flood was coming. And he even named Methuselah in such a way that, that his name meant that, that judgment was coming after his death. And that that flood, he, he foretells the flood in the way that Enoch named Methuselah. And it changed Enoch's life. And Enoch walked with God from that day forward for 300 years until finally he was translated by God. So we see the same kind of thing happen now in Noah's life. Somewhere along the way, Noah received a divine communication from God. And God warned him that a great flood was coming, that water would sweep over the earth and it would cover everything and it would kill everyone and, and everything. And God warned him that this judgment was coming. Amen? But the thing that God warned him of, let's just be honest, was really quite hard to believe. God warned him of something that he had never seen before. Not only that, he warned him of something that was nearly impossible for him to imagine. God said it's going to rain. I'm going to bring a flood of waters. Now, that's a difficult thing to believe. I mean, Noah hasn't even got any idea of what rain is. It's never rained on the earth before. Amen. He's never seen water fall from heaven. Noah and none of his contemporaries have ever experienced rainfall. Let me explain to you how the earth operated up until that time. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 5 says, And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. So the Lord had not caused it to rain. Verse 6 explains what he did then to water the plants. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So from that time until the day of Noah, it never rained. The ecosystem was 
was different then than it is now our ecosystem. It was different then than it is now. There was a mist that that rose up from the earth every day, and like like the like the moisture that goes into our clouds that that produces the rain. But it was different in that it didn't it didn't ascend into the heavens and then come down as rain, but it just rose from the earth and settled on the plants like a like a heavy dew, and it caused everything to be wet and moist every day. And here's the thing: it was never too much. Amen. It was always the right amount. Uh, it was never too little. It was just exactly what the earth needed. It was the perfect source of water. And it was the perfect source from which the world would thrive and grow. And, and, and it protected humanity from the rays of the sun, the, that mist and that, that cloud of mist. And, and they, some scholars would tell you that's a reason why Methuselah could live to be 900 and something years old. That's a reason why there were hundreds and hundreds of years of lifespans. They were protected from the the degrading rays of our sun by that moisture whatever it was god watered the earth without it having to rain neither noah nor anyone who lived in his time had ever seen a gentle spring rain much less a thunderstorm they had no concept of too much water they didn't know what it was, Brother Tim, to see the rivers overflow the rakes. There, there weren't any di- ditches to catch runoff. The water that God provided was just enough. It was all that they needed. It was all that the plants needed. It wasn't too much and it wasn't too little. And they had no understanding of what a flood would be like. It was completely a foreign concept to them. But Noah, when he had no frame of reference, when there was nothing, no category for him to put it in, God said, it's going to rain and I'm going to bring a flood. And Noah believed it. That's the test of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, provides the premise for the entire chapter. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of what? Things not seen. He didn't see any rain. He had never seen any rain. No doubt it would have been a whole lot easier for Noah to believe if God had just opened up the heavens and let it rain on him just a little bit while he was telling him what was going to come so that he he could completely understand what rain was. Uh, but that's not how faith works. Uh, God didn't open up the heavens. Uh, you, you know, seen the little cartoon with a little rainstorm that settles over an individual man and wherever he goes, it's raining. God, God could have made a little rainstorm and just let it fall on Noah and there would have been no doubt in Noah was mine what rain was uh, but that's not the way faith works faith uh, is a substance of things hoped for it's the evidence of things we can't see anybody can believe what they can see anybody can believe what they feel anybody can believe what they can grasp and what they can handle but Noah believed in things that were yet unseen he had no idea of what was going on he had no idea of what it was going to be like he'd never heard the clap of thunder he'd never experienced the torrential downpour of a heavy rain but the bible says that when God said to him I'm going to make it rain and I'm going to flood the earth he doesn't even have a concept for the word flood but he was moved with fear conviction gripped his heart 
He had a conviction that God was going to do whatever God said he was going to do. And I don't have to understand it uh, to believe it. Uh, I don't have to understand it uh, to act on it. Uh, he only had to believe that God said it. And if God said it, then it's going to come to pass. Now, some may stumble over the word fear, thinking that God may have coerced Noah through fear. But the word here doesn't mean that he was in abject terror. It means reverence. It's saying that Noah had a respect for the word of the Lord. He believed what God said. And it was that belief that compelled him to do what God told him to do. It was that remarkable quality of faith that said, it might not make sense to me. I might not understand it. I have no idea what a rainstorm is. I have no idea what a flood is. But if God told me to build a boat, then I'm going to build a boat. Oh, how I wish that every man had that same measure of faith. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30 in the latter half of the verse tells us that God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Everybody, everywhere is commanded of the Lord to repent. Uh, some people believe that and they repent. It doesn't make sense to them. Uh, they don't understand how it works. How is it that I come down and I kneel in an altar and I confess my sins to God and the blood of a righteous lamb that was slain thousands of years ago somehow covers my sins uh, and somehow sets me free from the bondage of sin. It doesn't make any sense, uh, but they do it anyway. Some people don't believe it because it doesn't make any sense. And for some people, it seems as if God is asking them to do some impossible thing. For some, genuine repentance is a, as foreign of a concept to them as rain was to Noah. But the Bible isn't asking for your understanding. It isn't asking for you to intellectually grasp what it means to be baptized when you're, you're buried with him. You're buried in the grave. It doesn't ask you to understand what it means to be resurrected to the newness of life when he fills you with his Holy Spirit and you speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the others. It doesn't make sense to the modern mind. You can't reason it out. There isn't an answer for it. Amen. But God's not asking you to understand. It, uh, he's asking you to believe it uh, and to act on it uh, and to obey his word, to repent of your sins, uh, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ uh, for the remission of those sins. And he will fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, you'll speak with other tongues uh, as the Spirit of God gives the others. You won't understand it then either, my friend, but you know it's real because you felt it. If the word of the Lord says it, I'm going to do it. Amen. If the Bible says all men everywhere need to repent, then, honey, I'm going to an altar, and I'm going to bend my knees in the presence of, of a holy God, uh, and I'm going to repent of my sins uh, because it doesn't have to make sense to me. I don't have to be able to understand it. Uh, my faith in God's word uh, is all it takes uh, to make it necessary for me to obey him. 
We live in a generation that wants to reason everything out. We talked about this some in the prayer room this morning. We, we live in a generation that, that wants a sure answer for every question. They, wanna, they want an explanation for everything. Honey, I want you to listen to me. You're never going to get the answer to every one of your questions. You're never going to understand everything there is to understand. Uh, it, it's going to be that some things simply aren't going to make sense to you. Some things you're simply not going to be able to come to terms with. Some things uh, you're going to struggle with, uh, and you're going to have to take it on faith. Uh, if God said it, uh, if this is what the Bible says uh, that I should do, it doesn't make sense to me, but it doesn't have to make sense to me. Amen. It's just my burden to do what God God said that I should do. I'm going to tell you something. Holiness is never going to make sense. The world's never going to be able to understand it. You're always going to, some things, some of it is perfectly sensible. and Some of it you're always going to struggle with. Amen. But God's not asking you for your understanding. He's asking you for your obedience. Amen. I'm going to do it because this is what the, what the Bible says I should do. I'm going to do it. Not you know, the, the people lift up this old book and say, "Well, that's outdated. That's antiquated. That was that was so many centuries ago." No, my friend, that's a principle of the Word of God. This is what God said. This is what I've required of you. This is what I've desired from you. This is what I want from my people. And if God said it, I, I don't have to understand it to obey it. Amen. Man, what the Bible says to do, I'm going to do it. My world won't understand it. My friends might not understand it. My family might not understand it. But what the Lord has required of me is simply the obedience of my faith. I'm going to believe it. And that's good enough for me. That's the kind of faith that Noah had. I don't have to have every answer. I don't have to experience rainfall to believe there's going to come a flood. I don't have to know what it is to see the river over its bank. Listen, Noah's flood isn't like, you know, I get a flood warning on my friend, on my phone every time it sprinkles. Anybody else in Lake City have that problem? Every time it sprinkles, like they, they don't even know there's a levee in between me and that river, and I get this warning, it's going to flood, it's going to flood. It's gonna. Let me tell you something, Noah's flood wasn't like any flood that we've ever experienced. It flooded to over the mountains. That's a lot of water, my friend. That's beyond Noah's capacity to understand. But because God said it, Noah believed it. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 12 says, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. Now there's a challenge to your faith. On an absolutely unprecedented scale, what would you do if God told you to build a 20,000 ton ship in the middle of the wilderness? I'm convinced that one of the greatest acts in the history of humanity, the one of the greatest acts of faith in the history of humanity, 
disciples when Noah took his axe in his hands and began to fell the first tree, believing that God was going to send a flood, believing that though he was hundreds of miles from the nearest ocean, that God told him to build a boat. There wasn't a river to float it in. There wasn't an ocean. There wasn't no way. When he gets done with this monstrosity, there's no way to move it to where the water is. I'll never forget a fellow built a boat in Jonesboro. Y'all may have been aware of it. I don't know. I met him a couple different times buying lumber when I worked at Lowe's when I was just a young man. But he built this huge, oh, he had spent some time as a young man in the uh, Merchant Marine. And he, he built this seafaring vessel. This not, We're not talking about the kind of boat you put on Lake Norfolk. He built this seafaring boat. With the idea, and he told me, he said, I'm going to retire. He lived with his dad at the time, and he said, I, I, my dad's going to die, and, and he did. He sold the property and said, I'm going to finish the boat, and I'm going to take the boat, and I'm going to retire on the ocean, and I'm just going to live on the ocean. I'm going to sail from port to port, and that's, that's how I'm going to make my livelihood. He, was, he built a boat. It was a huge boat. He built this boat in the backyard of his house, and it, was, it took up the whole backyard. And then his dad died, and he sold the house, and they had to hire uh, uh, a crane and, a, and an 18 wheeler to put the boat up on the 18 wheeler and draw it, and it sat in a uh, RV park over in Jonesboro for a long, long time while he finished it. He lived in it while he finished it, and it's gone now. I don't know the rest of the story. I wish I could do the Paul Harvey thing and tell you where he is right. Now. I don't know. Maybe the boat sunk, but somewhere he took that boat and put it in water. But listen, Noah didn't have that capacity. Noah didn't have that. He building something bigger, way bigger than what that man built. And there wasn't any cranes and 18-wheelers to haul it to the ocean. Amen. But God told him to build a boat. And that's what he did. Amen. Verse 15 says, And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. Now, cubit is an ancient unit of measurement. It means different things at different times. So when you try to convert cubits to feet and inches, there's quite a bit of variation in the lengths that people use. There's a Jewish common cubit. There's an Egyptian cubit. There's a Palestinian cubit. There are all these different cubits. The estimates of the size of a cubit range anywhere from 17 and a half inches to 22 inches so in order to be fair to the biblical text we'll use the lowest level we'll, we'll assume that a cubit is is 17 and a half inches and we'll understand between ourselves that the march probably bigger than what i'm about to say but just so that we get a grasp of of what the bible means when it talks about cubits we'll, we'll put this into feet using that that unit of conversion 17 and a half inches for a cubit if that's what we use then the ark was 438 feet long it was 73 feet wide, and it was 44 feet high. That's over four stories tall. Uh, you imagine Noah building the scaffolding to get up four stories to work on that old boat. It had three decks within it. Had a total deck area that would be approximately, and I didn't do this math, thank God, and I didn't ask Rockland to because he could have. I found it somewhere else, but 95,700 square feet of deck space, a volume of 1,396,000 cubic feet. I'm here to tell you that's a big chip. I can tell you how big of a boat it is. It wasn't until the year 1858 that humanity built a boat as big as the ark. 
Up until the year 1858, the biggest boat on the water was the P&O liner called the Himalaya, and it was barely half as big as the Ark. But in that year, Ismard Brunel launched a ship called the Great Eastern, and the Great Eastern was 692 feet long. It was 83 feet wide, and it was 30 feet tall. It was the first boat in the history of humanity to rival the size of the Ark, and it would be another 40 years after that in the 1890s before another boat was built as big or bigger than the Great Eastern. That's how big the ark was. That's, that's how massive the ship was that Noah built. The plans that God gave to Noah. Noah didn't make up this ark. He didn't build it the way he wanted to build it. God gave him a plan, and he built it according to God's plan. God's the one that determined the width and the height and the, and the, and the volume and how many decks and where the window was. God even told him, you're going to put a window and told him where to put the window. Amen? And all the plans that God gave Noah, if you read it, you, you'll be, there's one thing that if you know anything about boats, it'll ship stick out to you there there's no rudder there are no sails there is no way to navigate there's no way to guide the ship once the boat's afloat noah has no other resource except to trust god he's at the mercy of god but trust is all noah had anyway amen from the time that god said it was going to rain he was operating on faith Everybody who went by him would laugh at him. His neighbors and his countrymen would mock him. They saw the evidence of his faith, and they decided that he was absolutely crazy. Your faith requires you to build a boat way out here in the middle of nowhere? Do you know that uh, there, there isn't even a boat that size anywhere else in the world? Do you, do you understand, uh, amen, how big that is? Do you even know if that thing will float once you're done with it? Uh, how are you going to get it down to the ocean? How are you ever going to get it in any water do you know there were miles and miles uh, from the nearest ocean or did your faith forget to tell you that what do you know about sailing noah you probably never even seen a boat much less been the captain of a boat or been the builder of a boat but the bible says in genesis chapter 6 and verse 22 thus did noah according to all that god commanded him so did he noah believed god in spite of what the others said in spite of what his world said in spite of the evidence uh, in spite of the fact that it had never rained uh, noah believed god uh, in spite of the many years of history uh, that said this will never come to pass uh, noah believed god uh, he believed so much that he built an ark he dropped everything honey and he spent over a hundred years building a boat somewhere in Mesopotamia I knew I was going to mess that up between the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers miles and miles from any ocean this man's whole life was consumed with one thing building a boat. Now, I don't know about you, but after 70 or 80 years of working on the boat, I think I'd begin to wonder. I'm just going to be honest with you. Seven or eight days, I'd start wondering, where's the rain, Lord? It'd get a little old working on the same boat for 100 years, day after day, year after year, decade after decade, without even the first drop of rain, without any supporting evidence. But that's faith. Faith responds to God's word. 
Faith is obedient in spite of everything else. Hebrews 11 and 7, the latter half of our text says this, Noah prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So Noah's faith resulted in three things. First of all, he and all of his house were saved because he was obedient, because he put some works with his faith. Noah built an ark that would not only save him, but it saved those who were most important to him. There's tangible value to your faith. It doesn't just affect you. It affects those that are around you. Dad and mom, your children are blessed because of your faith. Make no mistake about it. They, they'll have to choose to obey God on their own. They're going to have to turn their life over to God on their own. But the very fact that you're building an ark of safety in your life makes it easier and more likely for them to obey God and enter into his ark of surf safety in their own lives. Amen. And the fact that you make your home a refuge of safety from the wickedness of this world has a dramatic sheltering impact upon your children and the ark of faith that you build will save you but it reaches much further than that it'll impact those around you god calls you to do some things that simply don't make sense sometimes and the world ridicules you and mocks you because of your display of faith but listen to this preacher on this sunday morning the evidence of your faith has a broader impact than just the saving of your soul. There are people who are watching you. There are people who are being impacted by your faith. They may even be among the ones that are mocking you, but your steadfastness is leaving an indelible impression upon their lives. The second thing that Noah's faith accomplished was it condemned the world. The building of an ark that far inland must have been an absurd thing. His neighbors, we've already said, probably mocked him, laughed at him, considered him to be more than just a little crazy. They judged him because of his faith. But the scripture tells us that his faith judged them. That's what the world always does. It mocks you because of your faith. It judges you because you believe it belittles you because you're so small-minded that you, you need the crutch of religion to lean on and help you through this life. And it strives to intimidate you with worldly wisdom and knowledge. But Noah teaches us a powerful lesson. He refused to forsake his faith. And because of that, the testimony of his faith, a faith that believed in what it had never seen, because of that, his faith condemned the lost world which had rejected the word of God. His life stood in contrast to the world around him. In an evil generation, his righteousness separated him from everybody else. Yes, the world will hate you. Yes, the world will ridicule you. Yes, the world will mock you. Yes, the world will laugh you to scorn because of your faith, but it's because your faith condemns the world. There's a reason why the Scripture says that we are strangers and pilgrims in this world. We don't belong here. Our faith distinguishes us. We belong to another world. That's the example that Noah's faith provides for us. Not that he was judgmental. Not that he condemned the world. Not that he went around and stuck his finger in everybody's hand and face and said, you're going to go to hell. No. The Bible said Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Uh, he stuck his finger in their face and said, come get on an ark with me. There's a place of safety. There's a place of refuge. Uh, but 
the evidence of his faith would serve as an eternal example that it was not impossible to believe and obey God that anybody else could have done it too. And that would condemn the world. Finally, he became an heir of the righteousness of faith because he didn't forsake his faith, because he didn't bend to the pressure of the world, because he didn't conform in order to fit in. He became an heir of the righteousness of faith. And by faith, Noah was obedient to God. And by faith, he reaped the reward of that faith. He reaped righteousness. That's the end goal, amen? That's what every one of us is striving for, the righteousness of faith. I ask you to bear with me just a minute. I'm coming into my closing. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 says this, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also be the coming, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. As it was in the days of Noah, that's the way it's going to be in the last days. Listen, God was patient with a sinful world. Enoch started preaching judgment. Enoch was a preacher of righteousness, the Bible said. Thousand years, nearly a thousand years before the flood. Methuselah lives out this righteous life. All through that time, Noah, for 120 years, as he built an ark, preached righteousness every single day. They came to mock him. They came to laugh at him. They came to, to point fingers at the crazy man building the boat, but the crazy man preached to them. The whole time they were laughing and mocking, he preached truth to them. Listen, God gave the world 120 years to repent at the preaching of a righteous man. Noah provided a continuous example of obedient faith in action, but eventually judgment came to the world. I want to tell you this morning, God's dealing patiently with our world, but don't mistake the fact that he hasn't come to mean that he's not coming. Judgment is coming to this world. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 says this, But the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with ferment heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. It's no different now than it was then. God's judgment is coming. And a way of escape has been provided. There is an ark of safety. I want you to understand Noah's ark was big enough. I, I saw the numbers. I didn't take them down, so I don't have them in my notes. But somebody calculated all the species that were available to Noah and, and two of every kind. You know, everything that he put on the boat. And, and what he put on the boat was about half of the capacity of the boat. The boat could have held so much more than what he had on the boat. There was enough room for so many more people. But the world refused to hear that preacher of righteousness as he sounded the alarm about a judgment that was so far beyond their understanding that they simply couldn't believe in it. They had a choice, but they rejected the hope that Noah provided because of their lack of faith. The only refuge from the judgment that's coming is the ark of safety. And you have the same choice, and I have the same choice that the men and women of Noah's day had. You may live as if the danger isn't real. You may live as if judgment will never come. 
or you can hear the word of the Lord. There's only one way of escape from the judgment that's coming on this world, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. There's only one way to enter into that ark of safety. You've got to die with him in repentance. You've got to be buried with him in baptism in his name, and you will receive that same spirit of resurrection and life when he fills you with the glorious guilt uh, of the Holy Ghost. Now you can live as if that's true, as if that's not true. You can live as if that doesn't matter. You can ignore it and go on with your life. Uh, But the day is coming when the judgment of God is going to come. The trump of God is going to sound. He's going to split the eastern sky. Uh, He's going to come back for his bride uh, and he's going to pour out his wrath on this world. Let me do it. Let me stand as, as a preacher of righteousness like Noah in a time and a different season than him and declare to you it's, it's necessary to get in the ark. It may not make sense. It may not, it, all the stuff that God's asked of you, you may not be able to reason it out. You may not be able to fathom the judgment of God that is, that is so far beyond our understanding. But the simple message is this. God said get in the boat. Will you obey him or not? Would you stand with me? To the modern mind, it seems so impossible, so improbable, that God would once and for all judge the whole earth. Or even harder to believe that he would do away with the earth, that he would make a new heavens and a new earth, that he'd start all over again. Who's ever heard of such a thing? Who's ever seen anything like that? In all the history of the world, it's never happened like that. I mean, come on. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with him in the sky. That's nearly impossible for the rational mind to believe. That must have been exactly how Noah felt about rain. But you know what? He believed anyway. He had enough faith to build an ark to the saving of his soul. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a here to this. I'm in this pulpit this morning because God's called me to challenge somebody. I don't know who you are, and I don't know where you are in your walk with God, but it's time to take Him at His word. He doesn't owe you an explanation, but you owe Him obedience. The Word says it. Repent. I would that men everywhere would repent. The word says that you've got to be baptized in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ for the remission of his sins. The Bible said there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved but that glorious name of Jesus. The word says that if you repent of your sins, and you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Not you might, not it's possible, not it happens to some people. It's not just a Pentecostal thing. 
you will receive the gift. You read it for yourself. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you and to your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And I'm standing in this pulpit to tell you on a Sunday morning, God's calling. God's calling. His Spirit's reaching out. It's time to believe. It's time to put your faith into action. It's time to enter into an ark of safety. It's time to turn your heart towards heaven and say, Lord, I'm just going to walk by faith. You've You've been struggling some you've been you've had some questions that have been unanswered and and your faith has been confounded uh, because you dwelt on things you don't understand uh, but it's time to put those things in the hands of God and say Lord I'm going to trust you I'm going to walk with you I'm going to obey you I'm going to work for you I feel such a heavy anointing of the Holy Ghost in this house right now I, I, I want to open these altars. I'm not even sure exactly who I need to be calling. I feel like I, I feel like there's some that you need to come to a place of repentance. But there's some you need to come to a place of simply restoring your faith. You've asked God questions and you don't have all the answers. But God's calling you on a Sunday morning. To believe what he said. To believe what his word says. To believe the promise that he's spoken into your life. You may not understand it, but he's calling you to believe it, to obey it. Would you turn your heart towards heaven this morning? Would you reach out to him? Lord, challenge your faith. Help us to believe in things as of yet unseen. In Jesus' name.